Now, I am, and my wife and family and church will tell you, I'm a pretty uh, traditional guy. I don't believe in coming out of left field just for the sake of coming out of left field to be different. Um, I don't think there's any special virtue in being goofy. I don't think that God uh, has got a special grace going for anointing goofiness. I'm just a pretty traditional guy. But in case you've wondered, I have already started preaching. We will not be standing for a reading of a text. I will get to it. But I just, I, I, uh, I feel a very special um, word from the Lord tonight. I feel a very special word from the Lord. And I hope that God will really give us ears to hear. In case you don't know it, we are living in very strange times. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. And you can rest assured. The world is getting goofy. And, um, and I don't see it getting any better in the near future. But I do know that God is absolutely in control. He is totally in control. And furthermore, it is comforting to know, and brothers and sisters, just you can have to, I'm going to work my way through this, but in the world we're living in, in this nation, in this society, the things that are taking place around the world, in the Middle East in particularly, how it's affecting so much and has affected the United States of America tremendously. There's not one thing happening but what he told us it'd be there. Not one. Not one thing has drifted up from this ocean of humanity, this great sea and all of its weird beasts in without that uh, he didn't tell us about. It's there, some way, shape, or form. So take a breath. You're in good hands. He knows where we are at. Furthermore, He placed us here. And He placed us, us meaning the collective true body of Christ throughout this world. I don't care what the name is or lack thereof except for the only saving name of Jesus. That's the only thing he's interested in. 
is his name. If they are a people that have applied the name through repentance and baptism in that name and received his spirit and are endeavoring to walk pleasing to him in this world in righteousness and truth and holiness and spirit, that's the body. And he put us here for this hour. For this hour. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows our brothers and sisters throughout the entire world. And when the trumpet sounds, he won't miss a one. He'll take his own home. So I'm excited about this hour. I am human. I, like all, we have trepidations. We look, we see, we scratch our heads, we wonder. And uh, then we step back, we reread the Bible, we know. But um, if I had a button, and I'd like you to think about you, brothers and sisters, every pastor, pastor's wife, every saint of God. If you had a button sitting in your lap right now and you had one wish in this world, and, I, and think with me now, and you knew that if you pushed that button, it would happen. But you only get to push it once. You don't get three wishes. You push that button and it will happen. Only you can answer what you would wish for. Uh, I know what I would wish for. Because what I'm stating to you, I have thought so deeply, so often, and prayed about, literally, and told God, if this is the only thing I could have, this would be it. And that is to see unmitigated, glorious revival. That's it. That's it. That's it. That the events that took place en masse in the book of Acts of the Apostles, beginning with the most important day in human history. You say, no, the most important day in human history was Calvary. Without it, no other day would be important. But Calvary took place in order to purchase the day of Pentecost. He went all that way so we could have a day of Pentecost and a dispensation of Pentecost, dispensation of grace. And, and the button I'd push, I would say, God, that's exactly what I want to see. Exactly. Now, however... I know that we just have to live life. You can't just sit, you can't just stew, you can't just brew, you can't just wish. And as much as you pray and we need to pray, you can't just 
pray. Some can. Some are not afforded that particularly luxury for all the time. There's things that draw us and demand of us. And, and so to pray, you have to carry a spiritual machete whereby you literally stop and cut your way through the morass, the jungle, the overgrowth of things to do and stuff that presses. You chop and hack your way out a spot in order to pray. And you have to do that if you're going to pray. It has to be done. And, uh, but there's just a myriad of stuff that has to take place. For a text tonight, we are familiar enough with this that I'm taking you to the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter, and the setting is this. They have just buried Jacob. Upon the burial of Jacob, there are 11 brethren, but 10 especially. Benjamin is not really uptight about anything, I don't think. But there are 10 older brothers of this strange, enigmatic man, Joseph. And they are back once again to gut-wrenching, hand-wringing anxiety that now that our daddy's finally dead, Joseph is going to issue payback for all we did to him. And so they come to him with a story and they say, before our father died, he wanted us to tell you. And they gave this story about have mercy on my boys and all of this stuff. And the Bible tells us that Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren fell down before him. And they said, we're your servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So boys, get up. The past is the past. We're dealing with today life and mistakes and actions and misactions and misunderstandings were spread abroad in every heart and I found myself in a pit I found myself in a prison I found myself at Potiphar's house I found myself in a mess betimes but God meant it for good and he brought good out of a bad, bad situation. Here a while back, 
I, I read a story about a young man who, this was, this was many years ago, uh, but it, wasn't, it was a long time ago. It was the past century, okay? And in this past century, there was a young man whose mother had passed. The father was a well-to-do man. He'd raised him. He was a single, he was an only child. And, and we don't know all of the dynamics of the relationship, but probably with angst of the loss of his mother, one thing and another, he wasn't considered the sweetest bonbon in the box. Uh, but he did make it through high school, and then he went on to college, and he did typical foolish college stuff. But he loved his dad. His dad loved him. There was, his dad was busy. There was these feelings. But to me, all that as it may, his eyes fell upon a certain newly made sports car. I do not know what it was. But they weren't giving him away. And uh, his father was probably one of the few men in the city that could afford it to just buy it. And so this boy, the last portion of his senior year in college, he pulled it all together. He focused himself. He, 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 he paid proper respects. He, he wanted to step out onto the stage of graduation in as good a light, especially in his father's eyes, as possible. And he was uh, rewarded accordingly but for his academic efforts. And uh, he had dropped some hints. He knew the dad knew what he wanted. I mean, the village idiot would know what he wanted. And uh, so the party was over, and, and, and so the morning after the graduation, the father called him into his office and told him he was proud of him, appreciated him. He had said, I have something for you. And it was a box. And it was wrapped. And that's uh, not... Already the boy was off his stride. And uh, he unwrapped the gift, tore open the paper after removing the bow, lifted the lid... And there was a large Bible, beautifully bound, beautiful Bible. His name was engraved on it in gold letters. And it was absolutely not what he was expecting. And he didn't handle the moment well. And he stepped back. And his anger got the best of him. And he looked at his father. They weren't particularly religious people per se. His father was not known for being a... He wasn't a devil, but he wasn't known for being a saintly guy. I mean, he was a decent guy. 
And he said, thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot. And his dad said, aren't you even going to look at it? He said, maybe someday, Father. I've got a life to live. And he walked out the door. He packed his things. He left the house. He began making connections with fellow classmates, pulling strings that knew his father. Later he figured out his father let out string. One thing led to another, became employed, then he became gainfully employed, then he went into business. He met the girl of his dreams. They married. Father was not invited. Then he started having children. Nothing. The lines were down. The father was not contacting him, and he was not contacting his father. Upon the birth of the second child, he got to thinking, this ain't right. And so, as he began to make plans to take his family halfway across the country and try and surprise his father, he received the news. Your father has died. And you need to come home. It's up to you to make arrangements. Which he did. He also found out he, except for a few charities along the way, he was the sole inheritor of his father's estate. And it began the long, sad, arduous journey with a hole in him as big as a battleship would make of trying to work his way through all of that with regret so huge. Not too far from his father's desk that was now piled with papers He'd hired other people to come in and help him. One day he looked and he rose from the chair and he went over and there was a familiar looking box. And he took the lid off and there was the Bible. He took out the Bible, he set it on the desk, he cleared some papers, he, he sat down. There was a, a bookmark. He opened it up, the only place underlined on the page were the words of Jesus, if ye then be an evil know how to give good gifts. How much more shall your heavenly Father? And he picked it up and he went to hold it to his chest when he heard and felt something fall from the Bible. 
And he looked down, and it was a set of car keys. And there was paper where it had fallen out. It was the car from the dealership, paid in full years ago. He made his way to the garage. There was his sports car now covered with dust, sitting there all those years. Well, we can only imagine how he had to deal with all of this. And we, who are lovers of the Word of God, appreciators, when we get a new Bible from anywhere, this story sounds so abhorrent. It's a naturally abhorrent story, but to us it's so naturally abhorrent because the familial broken relationship, his lack, so many things. And we look at it and we just wince and we cringe and we just... And this boy has to spend his days, I wonder if he ever enjoyed driving that car. I wonder how long he had it before he sold it or gave it away because it was an emblem of his stupidity, his callousness, his arrogance, his stubbornness, his pride. Missing far more the years he could have had driving that car, the relationship, the birthdays, the father's days, all the stuff he threw away. Because he got what he wanted, but he didn't like the way it was wrapped. He got exactly what he wanted, but he didn't like the package it came in. It wasn't what he was looking for. It wasn't, it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what he wanted. And therefore he rejected it out of hand, not realizing you are rejecting, sir, what you've longed for. I want to talk to us tonight on this subject, strangely wrapped gifts. Strangely wrapped gifts. You know, we can look at that boy but how many times do we get gifts wrapped from God and we don't particularly like it? We're not ready for it. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we asked for. It's not what we prayed for. It's not what I was expecting. Such as Joseph in his coat of many colors going to see his brethren. And what he got was not what he wanted. It wasn't hail fellow well met. It wasn't long time no see. It wasn't, hey, there's our brother in his beautiful coat. It was immediate buffeting and throwing into the pit. 
mocking and with him pleading with tears. All he can hear is them talking about, let's sell him. What do you think he's worth? Ah, not much. We'd probably get more out of the coat than we would him. And on and on and on. And then they finally decide to go over to the hill and eat, eat lunch in peace. And when they come back, Reuben first trying to smuggle him out. Sees the empty pit. Last he heard, they were talking about selling him. Next he knew here were Midianites pulling him out, thinking they figured out how much I was worth. Then he was sold to Ishmaelites. Then he was sold to Egyptians. And then the Egyptians put him on an auction block. And uh, I can only imagine the bargaining. Come on. Flex your muscle, boy. Come on. Turn around. Look at his teeth. This boy's been taken care of. Potiphar bids. And he goes home. That's a pretty strangely wrapped gift. And his first job, let's just say, is to clean out the stalls. And he could get bitter so easy. I don't like this. I don't like anything about this. This is not what I expected. But God's bigger than all this. God's bigger than all this. I may have feelings about my brothers, but my God has been good to me. I'm still alive. And if I am a stall cleaner outer, I'll be the best stall cleaner that ever hit Egypt. And the long story short, as we know, after a while, by and by, we're dealing with the months, years. He is the steward of Potiphar's house. Potiphar doesn't even know what's in his checking account. He has no idea what he's worth. All he knows is he's being blessed six ways from Sunday. And this guy, since he showed up, is the best thing ever happened to me. And... And all's going well. Until one day he comes home and his wife's holding a coat. It's not a coat of many colors. That got covered with blood from a kid of the flocks and taken to Jacob. This one, she's screaming and crying. And so beside herself. That dirty, filthy little Hebrew snuck in this house. Now, I don't know this. We get to the other side. We'll know. There's always been a little part of me. We'll see. Potiphar looks at her. Yeah, right. But what does he do with the servants? What does he do with his reputation? He gets him, sends word. I I just have a hard time thinking Potiphar could even bring himself to look at Joseph in the face. But here's Joseph now in prison. 
bad prison. You know, there's no prison, especially in those days. They were not retreats. And, 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 and he's in a cell. And he's there with the straw, such as it was. The vermin, such as they were. Amen. The rats, as many as they be. And the lice. And the fleas. And the filth. And the stench. And the smell. That's not the kind of present you expect. When all you've been doing is trying to please God. But he decides, I'm not living like this. And he cleans his cell. He fixes it where Harold the rat must go elsewhere. And after a while, the guard walks by and sees, that dude's cell is better than my office. Hey, why don't you come work in my office, dude? Yes, sir. After a while, other prisoners are saying, you know what? I don't have to live like a pig. Joseph ain't. And he becomes the sub-warden. And the Bible says, whatsoever was done in the prison, he was the doer thereof. And things took such a pickup. It was so positive. I mean, get this. I've, I, and I've, I've done prison ministry. We do it now. We've been baptizing a lot of people the last few months. And, 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 and see them get the Holy Ghost. And it's exciting. But I want to tell you something. I have never gone into a prison. I've never looked at any prisoners and said, Why are you guys down in the mouth? Why are you sad? Because they would look at me and say, Duh, this ain't Disneyland, dude. Prisons are not the happiest place on earth. But his demeanor, his spirit, had so permeated an effect. Let me tell you something. We should be the people that change the environment. Our spirit should be strong enough, good enough, that it affects others in a positive way. I will tell you this. I do have a problem going into churches where it's... This is the neatest, greatest, most beautiful place on earth. You say, ah, you deal with life like that, you won't deal with sin. Duh. Can I tell you something? People that love Jesus don't like living in sin. And if they love Jesus and they are living in sin, it's because they've been entrapped. They've been snared. And, 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 and what our job is, amen, Maybe they have fallen, but God help us, we don't want them to be overcome. 
So if it's reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, you do, you teach, you reach, you pray, you talk, you counsel, you do everything you can. But I am going to tell you this, when it's time to come to church, there needs to be something that everybody that's possible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Is where they come and it feels good. And when it's like that and they're not living right, believe me, it makes them feel worse. And they'll want to get it right. And you say, well, that don't work for everybody. Nothing ever works for everybody. But I'm not going to ruin something good because of one hardhead. And since how we're in these waters, and we passed this way one time, I will take it this far as well. If you want to kill revival in your church, just order affairs in such a way, through speech and demeanor and statements, that it's wince to where people in your church are afraid to invite anybody to come because there's no telling what they're going to hear. When that gets loosed in the church, kiss evangelism goodbye. I want you to come. You go eat a hot dog with me. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. When they come to the house of God, they need to know they're going to hear how to be saved. They can repent of their sins. They can be baptized in Jesus' name. They can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Can hear holiness preach and righteousness preach and godly living preach, and it's done in a beautiful way that everybody, oh God, I want to live for God. This man Joseph had that kind of an effect on the prison. What's wrong with you two? They gave him the dreams. The one he said. Three days, dude, you're going to be back being the butler to Pharaoh. The baker says, here's my dream. You know, bad news is bad news. You can't dress it up. Da, 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 da. Three days, the birds are going to eat your flesh. Do, 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 do. Bad news, bad news, you can't lie. Set your house in order, dude, it's over. And as the butler's going out the door, Joseph says, Don't forget me, friend! <laughs> <laughs> 
forgot him. Strangely wrapped gifts. But every step of the way, it was a gift of Almighty God. And in one 24-hour period, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And before the sun sets the next night, this man, Joseph, is sitting on a throne. He's the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world. And we know the story and the brothers come and when Joseph tells him at Jacob's death can I interpolate it was a strangely wrapped gift and you meant it for evil but down inside that box God had the promises and there was good beautiful things for all of us that we would be saved and it goes on and on and on we just we'll just rush quickly moses the edict kill all the male children that's bad and then he is weaned old enough to know from his mother you're not an Egyptian. She drug that weaning process out. He goes into Pharaoh's house. He can't forget the words. He knows what it is when one day he sees his brethren afflicted. He sets him, or, or he sees one afflicted because of an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian. The next day, two brethren are fighting. He tries to separate him. The one that did his brother wrong said, Who made you the judge? You're going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian. I was just trying to help. And this is the present I get. And now he sees a present he tries to unwrap for 40 years on the backside of a desert, taking care of his father in law's sheep. And when that present fullness of time comes and he goes back into the land of Egypt, he's still got to deal with unbelieving brethren that stand in the way. He has to deal with Pharaoh. He has to deal with the likes of Janus and Jambres. And then when all of the plagues and the Red Sea's over, He's got to deal with Israel for 40 more years. And one day when he smites a rock, God gives him one last present. You can't go in. God didn't take the time to explain to him you're a type of the law. The law can make nothing perfect. Why do you think I had you change O'Shea's name to Joshua, which is Jeshua, which is Jesus? Because the law can make nothing perfect. And he's a type. And it's going to take Jesus to get us on into the promised land. And you think the time you prayed 
and you besought me and said, I beseech you, let me see your glory. And God said, no. In the time you said, let me see the promised land. And God said, no. Don't ask me no more. 2,000 years later, he sees the promised land. Because him and Elijah are standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's sure enough seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God will give you the present. God will answer the prayer. It may be a strangely wrapped gift. And if your name is David and the gift, the present is a lion or a bear or a giant or a king or a doeg or a a Naboth or on and on. But you'll dance before the Lord with all your might before it's over. And on and on, strangely wrapped gifts. Amen. If your name is Job and you are the fairest, the best, the most faithful, you fear God, you're perfect, you're upright, you hate evil, you do not expect a gift with wrappings delivered by the only four servants you have left that come bearing presents. All of your camels have been stolen by the Sabaeans and they killed all your servants. I, only I. The asses, the oxen, the Chaldeans, the murder. Here's your present, Job. The sheep with the fire of God. All them and all your servants I, only I, am left. And then the most hideous, wrapped gift of all. All your kids. All your servants. I can't even hardly read it, let alone think about it. And this man is weaving in the wind of emotions, blowing hounds of hell breathing in his ear. Come on, Job! What kind of a God would give you presents wrapped like that? And the other side, Gabriel, Michael, and a heavenly host. We don't even understand it, Job. But I assure you, he's still the same as he was yesterday. And he'll be the same tomorrow. We don't have any answers to give you. But he's still God and he's still good. And while heaven and hell wait with bated breath... 
on the words of one man. He rends his garment. He shaves his head. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I do not understand the present. You say, yeah, but at least you still got friends. Don't give up. Come on, you can thank God for your friends. Is that right? Until the first one says he's a sinner. And when you say, I, no, I, and the second one says, you're lying. I'm not lying. And the third one says, it's because you're a hypocrite. Well, at least he can thank God for his wife. Really? And I'm not for throwing her under the bus. That was her family. That was all. I feel sorry for her too. But, come on Job. At least you've still got God. Really? I go before and I can't find Him. And I go behind me thinking maybe I missed Him and He's not there. And I go to the left and I go to the right. When it was, let me ask you something. Somebody name me one entity that Job had left that he could thank God for. His health, his friends, his wife presence of God good church come on he had nothing every present he unwrapped was a nightmare but he said I do know I've got a redeemer out there somewhere and he is alive and when I'm dead and the skin worms have had their way I'm gonna see him for myself alone and not for another and before it was over he found out that it meant he would have another 140 years generations of children he would have sons and daughters and twice as much livestock as he ever had before don't lose out on the blessings because the gift wrap is not what you expected Amen. If it's Paul and it's storms, shipwrecks, enemies, Judaizers, false brethren, beatings, watchings. If it is messengers of Satan 
beating you lest you be exalted above measure. What kind of gift wrap is this? And I besought three times, take these presents away. His answer is, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength will be made perfect in weakness. So he took a deep breath and he said, most gladly because of this, all right, I'll glory in these presents. I'll take these infirmities. If that means that somewhere in the midst of this, there's going to be the power of Christ to rest on me, then I'll take pleasure in these presents, these infirmities, these reproaches, these necessities, these persecutions, these distresses. Because with gifts like these that so weaken me, I'll come out stronger. I'm not done, but musicians come. When it's so bad, the presence are so bad that people that he preached to are saying, Paul, have mercy. I thought you were an apostle. I saw God use you. And everywhere you turn, it's getting worse and worse and worse. He said, brethren, I want you to understand everything that's happening to me has fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. I prayed for revival. And this is what I'm getting. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's an author and a finisher of our faith. When I wrote my book about my life journey, there's stuff in there I didn't tell. One of the things I didn't tell, Brothers Holmes, and I'm not bragging, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. My old friends know. Before I came to God, I had one of the most hideously horrid, most ferocious tempers. I mean, it was really bad. I'm not bragging. I didn't talk about it in the book. I'm not bragging now. But it was, it was really bad. One time, I ran into a midst of a group of guys that were fighting, gang. Me and three guys, we ran across Prairie Avenue. I had a rubber hose in my hand. They began scattering. One guy tripped. I'm not, this is hideous. I straddled him, I stood on his hands. He begged me. He pleaded with me. And in spite of his pleadings, I beat him mercilessly across the face with that rubber hose. While I'm doing it, 
a man in a pickup truck is shooting at me with a deer rifle. People are diving under cars. They're running around buildings. And he told my brother a year later, he shot twice. And he said, your brother made me so bad. I pointed it at the middle of his back. He said, it's the only time that gun has ever jammed. It didn't fire. I didn't talk about that stuff. I came to God. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And the first job I got was a sheet for a sheet rocker, a drywaller. This has nothing to do with anything except to get you the picture. He was this tall. He was that tall, but I watched him by himself on an eight-foot ceiling hang 12-foot-long piece of sheetrock by himself. The guy that tall. I watched him. He said he could do it. I didn't believe him. I watched him do it. He was bad. And we were buddies the first day. And the second day I had to tell him that I was a Christian. And then... And then... Really, he got started on me every day was Hades on earth. He was the meanest, vilest, most foul-mouthed, cruelest little devil I've ever been around. And he was my boss. You say, why didn't you quit? As God is my witness... God wouldn't let me. I, I just, I'm so full of the Holy Ghost. I want to do everything to please God. I'd start to pray about it. And he'd let me know, you stay right where you are. And I would have to go home every day and pray through every day over this devil who cheated me of my wages, cursed me, questioned every circumstance of my birth. You name it. He did it. All day long, every day. His last words when I'd get out of the truck were vile. When I'd get in the truck, they were vile. One day, just one, I'd hung a piece of sheetrock up on the ceiling, just filled in a gap, you know, a sheetrock hammer has an axe on one end, kind of. He said, you stupid character. <clears throat> you can't do anything right. Tear that down. And I snapped. I didn't cuss. I turned that hammer around. It was the axe. It was, yeah! I tore it to pieces. I'm screaming, battering it. I didn't cuss. He's, he's backing off. I was so mad. I was breathing so hard. I tore it to pieces. I got, and I got down and I said, is that good enough? 
and I repented. I repented. And I kept working with him for another six weeks. The morning I got fired. We're headed somewhere. Musicians come. The morning I got fired. I didn't know I got fired. God told me I got fired. He'd been dealing with me about going on a fast. But I couldn't fast working for that devil. And I woke up. And when I woke up, the Lord spoke to me and said, Gene's not coming for you today. You can start your fast you're through. So, I started my fast. I didn't see him again for three months. And one night after church, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Larry, there's a guy out there in a the truck who wants to talk to you. I looked out there and it was Gene. He said, Larry, get in. I want to talk to you. I sat down on that seat. He said, Larry, how can you expect me to like you or like anybody else when I hate myself so bad? I live in hell every day. I hate myself. How do you expect me to treat you good? And I got to pour my heart out to him about Jesus. I never saw him again. He never paid me the money. You ready? I have, I'm in the process of pastoring my third church. God showed me before I had the Holy Ghost, I would pastor three churches. Can I tell you, I could not pastor those churches without that man being in my life. He was a present from God saying, you better learn how to take care of your temper now, boy. And there's been many a time I... Stand. I am almost done. I read of a man who had four sons. I'm so close to being done. He had four sons. He was going to give everything to. He was a wise man. And there was off in a distant area 
an old, old, old pear tree. And he sent the youngest son in the wintertime. Go out here, there, da-da-da. Talk to this, you'll find it. There's a pear tree. Come back and give me a description. It's, it's leafless. It's gnarled. It's, it's, it's not a pretty sight. And then, early spring, he sent his second oldest son. He found the tree. He came back and said, it's leafing out. There's buds on it. There's promise. Then, the other son later, there's blossoms. It's beautiful. It's covered. And then the other son came back. Dad, this is one of the sweetest pears I've ever ate in my life. It's covered with fruit. And he sat his boys down and said, Boys, don't you ever forget what I just showed you. You can't judge a tree or a human being based on that one season they're going through. Don't do it. People go through seasons and don't judge yourself because you may be in a season right now that you don't really like. Don't write off your future and what you're going to be able to produce before it's over. And now, I close. God, if there's one button, one single thing, I want to see the glory, the ingatherings, the outpourings replicated of the book of Acts, where cities are turned upside down and lives. see it. I believe it with everything that's in me. He didn't go all the way to Calvary for this thing to pour in on the day of Pentecost like a lion so it could go out whimpering like a beat up lamb at the end time. If you want to believe it's all going to dry up and blow away, that's fine. I think the greatest days of revival are ahead of us. I'm sorry, I believe it. But there's no telling how it's going to be wrapped.
I don't know. I'm not making any. I don't know. But let's don't start throwing out babies with bathwaters because we don't like the wrapping or the packages that it's coming in. I don't like a lot of things going on any more than you do. But God, you're God. And you know what you're doing. And if you've got to bring this country down to its face in order for it to wake up and smell the coffee and say we need God. Whatever it takes. And that's no visceral itch I have to scratch. I don't want it any more than you. But I'm here to tell us on this first night of revival. We need to get something settled in our hearts and in our minds. God, the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You came to seek and save that which is lost. Whatever else happens, God, you're number one. Your church, revival, in gathering of souls. If that's beating in your heart tonight, and if only one out of ten or less say, count me in, God. I want revival more than anything in this world. If that's beating in your heart and there's something inside of you that maybe you got your Bible with you and you're willing to hold it close to your bosom and make your way down here and say, me to be. Let's start out this camp meeting this year with a determination. God, I want to walk away from this camp meeting with greater glory than I've ever walked away. I want to walk away with greater insight. I want to walk away with greater anointing. I want to walk away, God, with a deeper hunger than I've known in many a year. If any of that's beating down in your heart, Step out. Step out, sir. Come on, step out, ma'am. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. I know there's no swinging on chandeliers. I knew there wouldn't be.
bless you in Jesus right now. Go!